Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where we spend our time, what to think, and how to go about our day. And some people choose to fill their day with positive energy and worthwhile things like uplifting podcasts. This podcast is born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life and the firm belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So hopefully today in this time together, we'll get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And as always, take a few minutes today to share this podcast with a friend, send them the link and encourage them to listen. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. I'd like to talk about how you can lead with greater influence. Just a few weeks ago, I was in New York City and I took a walk in the evening, which is one of my favorite things to do when I'm in New York. I walked from my hotel to Times Square. When you arrive at Times Square, it may be dark everywhere else in Manhattan, but there beneath the LED screens, digital billboards, and office buildings, it seems like the middle of the day. The energy is like nowhere else in the world. Times Square was named after the New York Times, which had its offices there. It is formed by the junction of Broadway, 7th Avenue, and 42nd Street. It is a bow-tie-shaped space five blocks long between 42nd and 47th Streets. And it's been called the crossroads of the world and the center of the entertainment universe. And it is one of the busiest pedestrian crossings in the United States and the hub of the Broadway Theater District. The first theater on the square, the Olympia, was built by Oscar Hammerstein I. Times Square now boasts such attractions as ABC's Times Square Studios, where Good Morning America is broadcast, Hershey's and M&M's stores, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, and Planet Hollywood restaurants. The notable jumbotrons include the NASDAQ sign, the curved Coca-Cola sign, and other signs and marquees constantly displaying the news of the world to everyone on the street. In total, Times Square uses 161 megawatts of electricity every year. That's twice the electricity required to power all the casinos in Las Vegas and equates to the power used by 161,000 homes. But 50 years ago, something happened on Times Square that has not happened since. For three full minutes on the night of September 1st, the entire Times Square area in New York City was blacked out in honor of the man who had done so much to light up that particular part of the world. From 8.57 to 9 p.m., every neon sign, every light bulb was turned off, and all traffic was halted between 42nd Street and 53rd Street and between 8th Avenue and the Avenue of the Americas. A crowd of 5,000 people, many with heads bowed, assembled at the base of the statue of Father Duffy on Times Square, where two trumpeters blew taps. It was the most complete blackout on Broadway since World War II and the greatest tribute of its kind ever paid to one man. Who was that man? Oscar Hammerstein II. And what did Oscar do to gain such influence? Well, Oscar was the influencer. 
the heartbeat of Broadway for over 40 years. His shows included Oklahoma, Showboat, Carousel, The King and I, South Pacific, Cinderella, and more. But his most famous creation with Richard Rogers was a Broadway play that would later be made into a hugely famous movie called The Sound of Music. And Hammerstein would write this musical at the age of 64 while suffering from stomach cancer. And he would pass away nine months after the opening of The Sound of Music on Broadway. But it wasn't his vast accomplishments that gave Oscar such influence with Broadway's actors, actresses, directors, and producers. It was his way of collaborating and doing and being that resulted in the extinguished lights on Times Square after his passing. He had such influence, for example, when the producers of The Sound of Music came to Rodgers and Hammerstein, the two changed the course of the production. The Sound of Music is based on a book, a memoir of the Trap family singers published after World War II. A screenplay was written from the book, and eventually Paramount Pictures purchased the film rights. The producers approached Rodgers and Hammerstein to write one song for the film, which was not originally intended to be a musical film, but Oscar had a different idea. And because of his influence, the producers listened And with his partner, they rewrote the entire score and turned the story into one of the most famous musicals of all time. In fact, the last song Oscar ever wrote was Edelweiss. Four years later, the musical was made into an award-winning film. While Grace Kelly and Shirley Jones were choices to play the role of Maria, Julie Andrews, who had just finished Mary Poppins, won the part and earned $225,000 for her acting in the film. A number of different actors were considered for the role of Captain Von Trapp, including Bing Crosby, Yul Brynner, Sean Connery, and Richard Burton. But after some persuasion, Christopher Plummer accepted the role. The soundtrack album was released by RCA in 1965 and is one of the most successful soundtrack albums in history, having sold over 20 million copies. The Sound of Music would later win several Academy Awards. Oscar's influence has been felt for decades after his passing. He had significant influence on New York and Broadway in his partnerships with producers and actors like few before or after him would ever have. You know, it's interesting that we all know influence when we see it, that rare quality that allows a person to change the hearts and minds of people, the direction of teams, the mood and feeling of a culture. And influence is the key talent of a true leader. It is also the elusive factor for which many leaders search. What about you? Would you like to have more influence with your team, with your children, even with your spouse? And here's the thing. Influence can be a leadership trait you can develop and improve through some easy-to-do actions and by opening your eyes to a few key factors. So let's talk for a few minutes about what those might be. As we do, think of the person in your life who you know who has had significant influence on you. What is it about that person that causes them to have influence? It's not likely that they use tactics or memorized words or sales techniques to gain influence with you. But what they do or did is much more genuine, and significant. As one author said, in years past, many of the books and business school courses that teach persuasion skills 
emphasized manipulative tactics and techniques. They conceive of influence as something that you do to someone to get your way. So if you're building a business or raising teenagers, you know very well that most people, most of the time, aren't motivated to do what you want them to do. They don't feel your urgency. They're busy with their own priorities or crises, or they have hidden reasons for rejecting your ideas. And many of us are so focused on our goals and trying to do what we set out to do that we're often blind as to how to reach people we need to come our way. So how do we open our eyes to see how to influence them? Well, the answer, as Goldston and Ullman suggest, is to get out of your here and into there, there. In other words, you need to go from here to there. When you get into there, there, something happens. Your view, your idea of how to influence gets clearer. So you see, it isn't as much about what tactics you use to convince someone of something as it is what tactics you use to help you see clearly their point of view. Then the way to influence them will be easier for you to see. Here's a simple example. Last Saturday, I took my four-year-old grandson to one of my company's child science learning centers. Now, inside, we have a section of the center called Waterworks. And in this huge room, children discover how water works by getting hands-on with water. They direct water flow, create paths for more efficient flow, understand clouds, rain, and snow melt, and get excited about the science behind climate and water. Now, this area of the center is called Waterworks because the floor is built on tiles that allow the water to pass through the floor. So there is water everywhere inside a magnificent room. Well, I said to Ben, let's go inside. And he stopped and said, I don't want to get my shoes wet. Well, you see, I needed to understand his there, his view. So I didn't start pelting him with questions about why he was afraid to get his shoes wet, nor did I immediately solve his problem by offering him to take off his shoes or put on a pair of rubber boots. Instead, I just tried to understand him. He didn't want his shoes wet. I get it. They were new shoes. And I could have solved his problem immediately, but if I did, it would appear as me trying to manipulate him into entering waterworks. I wanted it to be his choice. I wanted the end outcome of the experience to be that he got curious about water, discovered new things, and loved the engagement. If he wanted his shoes off, he could take off his shoes or use the boots. So given all of this, as we stood there, I wasn't sure yet how to influence him. Then I opened my eyes, and I saw something powerful happening in front of Ben. There were dozens of kids having fun. They were exploring. Some were getting wet. Some were not. They were all fascinated by an indoor experience in which they could do whatever they wanted with water. And I had a hunch that the power of seeing those kids engaging would help Ben solve his own problem of not wanting to get his shoes wet. And I asked him, I wonder what that girl is doing over there. He said, she's turning on the water. Soon, as I waited, Ben was inside, engaging, and his shoes were wet, and he didn't even care. And we, in our lives and in your business, encounter similar situations over and over again. 
we want someone to agree to use and promote our product, for example. So in our haste or enthusiasm or even well-meaning drive, we feel the need to solve every problem and answer every question. And this can be read by your prospect as manipulation. Instead, try to understand there, there. And as you do, often you'll get a sense, a view of what needs to happen to bring your potential business builder along with you. Next, it's interesting that people who are most influential to us are also the most inspirational. Now, I'm not talking about huge, monumental inspiration, but rather genuine inspiration. Some of the best influencers of our day are the most genuine. In their book, Real Influence, the authors tell the following story. Karen Salmonson is a business author and authority on happiness at work. She sold over a million books, and her catchy tagline is, self-help for people who wouldn't be caught dead reading self-help. Earlier in Karen's career, before she built the track record she has today, she was interviewing to be a creative director at an ad agency. And Karen's interview time slot came at the end of the day. And she could tell that the hiring manager was tired and bored. He'd probably sat through an entire day of asking the same questions and getting more or less the same answers from a long list of job candidates. He moved mechanically through the interview. And at the end, in a monotone voice, he asked the typical concluding interview question. Do you have any questions for me? Yes, Karen said and paused, thinking on her feet. To stand up from the competition, she knew she had to do something different. What would you like to ask? He said. Karen replied, can you name all of the seven dwarfs? <laughs> he did a double take. What? Can you name all the seven dwarfs? She asked again. Are you serious? He asked. I am. He peered at her skeptically for a minute, but he was intrigued and in no hurry to do anything else. He tried to answer. Um... Uh, I don't know. Let's see. There's grumpy, sneezy, dopey. Is that one of them? Why are you asking this? Karen said, I'm working on a personality test that involves the seven dwarfs. How does it work? He asked. Karen gave him a big smile. The first dwarf you remember says a lot about you. He paused for a moment and then laughed out loud. That's funny, he admitted. You got me. She also got the job. Now, clearly, this isn't an approach we'd recommend in most job interviews. But it looked like Karen had nothing to lose at that point. And she had a lot to gain by shocking her interviewer into making a connection while simultaneously showing that she had the creativity needed for the job. Karen's Seven Dwarfs question instantly took her interviewer from bored to curious. She got him to laugh and engage, even at the end of a long day. Here's the point. Inspiration can come in a variety of forms. I've been influenced because a coworker has brought new insight to a problem. I've been influenced because a person has been down my path before and traveled that path well, and I trust them. I've been influenced because a person has qualities that I admire and several other genuine reasons. Let me give you a simple example. My daughter Elizabeth has an autistic son, and in the past four years, I've watched her rise in her capability. She is a calm, assuring force in his life. She patiently sits and works with him every day. And her days are filled with monotony, 
over and over again. She helps him learn skills that most kids pick up in a fraction of the time. She's learned to organize things and her day so that they don't create a trigger for him. And she's prepared to keep him on track when he's in school or in public. She smiles, she's grateful, and she thrives in her difficult parenting situation. Now, many of you are in similar situations and know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. She has great influence with me. I see her doing things I could never do. I see her goodness and her striving. These things are attractive. And as a result, I watch and listen and am influenceable. Isn't that interesting? The people we admire or people that inspire are influencers in our life. So what does this mean for you? First, be as good as you can at what you do. Excellence is attractive. Too many people try to influence through their words only, and words are good, but they fall short. Be an excellent listener. That's inspiring. Be great at follow-up. That's inspiring. Be helpful and service-oriented. That is inspiring. And yes, be knowledgeable. That, too, is inspiring. When you know your product well, when you know how to introduce it to others, you do have more influence. Think about it. Do you trust a genuinely knowledgeable person more than someone who's unsure of what they're talking about? Of course. The same goes with all people of influence. Now, there are a few tools of influence that can be used and are extremely effective. And if you're an educator or a salesperson or a development person, try a few of these influence tools. First, remember, a confused mind says no. So make things as simple as possible. For example, if you're introducing a product and the explanation is too technical, many people will say no. So try to make things as simple as possible. Influence author Cialdini adds another element to the principle of simplicity. He says there's a well-known principle of human behavior that says when we ask someone to do us a favor, we'll be more successful if we provide a reason. People simply like to have reasons for what they do. He notes research that shows when you ask for a favor and give a reason for that favor that makes sense, people are much more apt to respond positively to your request. For example, John, could you do me a favor? I'd love to grab coffee with you because I think you may be excellent at what I do. And if not, I'm sure you could point me in the right direction. I could really use your help. This type of approach has more influence than, could I get an appointment to introduce you to my business idea? Another one of Cialdini's tools is that of contrast. There's a principle in human perception, the contrast principle, that affects the way we see the difference between two things that are presented one after another. Simply put, if the second item is fairly different from the first, we will tend to see it as more different than it actually is. So if we lift a light object first and then lift a heavy object, we will estimate the second object to be heavier than if we had lifted it without first trying the light one. This contrast principle is well established in the field of psychophysics and applies to all sorts of perceptions besides weight. If you're talking to a handsome man at a cocktail party and then joined by an unattractive man, the second man will strike you as less attractive than he actually is. 
For example, suppose a man enters a fashionable men's store and says he wants to buy a suit and a sweater. If you were the salesperson, which would you show him first to make him likely to spend the most money? Will clothing stores instruct their sales personnel to sell the costly item first? Now, common sense may suggest the reverse. If a man has just spent a lot of money to purchase a suit, he may be reluctant to spend very much more on the purchase of a sweater. But the clothiers know better. They behave in accordance with what the contrast principle would suggest. Sell the suit first. Because when it comes time to look at sweaters, even expensive ones, the prices will not seem as high in comparison to the suit. Otherwise, a man might balk at the idea of spending $95 or $195 for a sweater. Cialdini goes so far as to include the use of contrast in a letter from a college daughter who is delivering some news to her parents. Here's the letter. Writing to her parents, she says, Dear Mom and Dad, Since I left for college, I've been remiss in writing, and I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I will bring you up to date now, but before you read on, please sit down. You're not to read any further unless you're sitting down, okay? Well, then, I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my dormitory when it caught on fire shortly after my arrival here is pretty well healed now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital, and now I can see almost normally and only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump was witnessed by an attendant at a gas station near the dorm, and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnt dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He's a very fine young man, and we've fallen deeply in love, and we are planning to get married. We haven't got the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, Mom and Dad, I'm pregnant. I know how much you're looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you'll welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and tender care you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has a minor infection, which prevents us from passing our premarital blood tests, and I carelessly caught it from him. Now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I didn't have a concussion. I was not in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I'm not engaged. I'm not infected. And there is no boyfriend. However, I am getting a D in American history and an F in chemistry. And I want you to see those marks in their proper perspective. <laughs> With that story, you can see the power of contrasts in helping to influence others. Another tool for influencing others seems simple, but it works. It's reciprocation. When you feel in debt to a person, you're more apt to be influenced by them. Not long ago, researchers asked sets of two people to rate the quality of some paintings as part of an experiment on art appreciation. The first rater in the pair, called Joe, was actually one of the researchers. And in the first round of research, Joe left the room and returned with two bottles of Coca-Cola, one for himself and one for the other rater. Then the experiment was repeated, but this time Joe didn't go get a soda for the other rater. Later on, after the paintings had all been rated and the experimenter had momentarily left the room, Joe asked the other rater to do him a favor. He indicated he was selling raffle tickets for a new car 
and that if he sold the most raffle tickets, he would win a $50 prize. Joe's request was for the other person to buy some raffle tickets at 25 cents apiece. Any would help, the more, the better, he said. Guess what the researchers found? Of course, Joe sold more raffle tickets when he bought the fellow raider a soda. In my opinion, when done genuinely and not overtly, reciprocation is a huge tool in gaining influence with people. The next tool of influence is this, social influence. Just as my grandson was influenced by other children playing in waterworks, so you and I are also influenced by social situations. If I were trying to recruit a new employee, I would like them to see the positive social work done at our company in person. There's something about seeing others using the product, in the manufacturing lines making the product, people engaged in the work of bringing the product to market, and other social interactions that ignites interest and curiosity and creates influence. So, if you're trying to influence your teenagers to make good choices and to establish habits that will bless their life, helping them find friends who do the same is critically important. When our kids were young and we moved to a new city, the number one factor of where we lived was the children in the neighborhood. We learned to attend local events, church, and other social gatherings before selecting a home to get a sense of who would be influencing our kids. Then the house and the number of bedrooms and other factors came second. The same goes for your business. Think purposefully about who you will introduce your new customer or business partner to, what event they will attend, how they'll see the social proof of what is happening in your business. I heard one leader say that they would never do an overview to a new potential customer alone. They always took another person with them because when they introduced the products, two voices and two firsthand experiences were so much stronger than one. It provided social proof. I agree with this principle wholeheartedly. You know, this extends to family and business culture as well. If you want to establish a positive culture, give voice to people in your organization who are positive. If you want to establish habits of high work ethic in your organization, give visibility to those who have high work ethic. You see, too many leaders think that influence has to be a solo act, but that is far from the truth. The best leaders are those who use every one and every tool of influence at their disposal. You know, one of my goals as a young father was to develop faith in my kids. Faith in God, to be exact. I believed and still believe that someone who believes in a higher power, in God, has a straighter moral compass, is supported in times of trial by their faith, receives and is open to more inspiration, and is blessed by that belief throughout their life. But how do you influence children in a way that instills that faith in them so it lasts throughout their life? The answer to that is repetition. You know, throughout the years of my kids growing up, we had family prayer. Now, this is a simple thing that happened at night and in the morning in our house. This isn't unique to us. Many of you do this. But we decided early that when we gathered at night, it was not only a time for prayer, but also for talk and fun. When the adults prayed, they prayed for the children by name and for specific needs. 
This creates incredible influence. Our kids wanted to come to prayer to hear their parents pleading to heaven for their well-being. We taught more in prayer than we ever could by teaching. And the faith established by consistent prayer has lasted into their adulthood and is now repeated with my children and their children. In prayer, so many principles were taught that gave us influence. Humility, faith, love, kindness, awareness, hope, and admiration, just to name a few. These strong character traits caused those who were part of those prayers to seek after the same. And the feelings of love and genuine care helped us as imperfect parents in the other times when we needed influence. Next, another way to influence your business partners to stay in the game and have ongoing energy to follow you is to give frequent feedback to help them see their growth. All people love to see progress. And when people feel like they're learning and progressing, you have more influence. In 2010, a research study divided study participants into two groups. Their task, using a stopwatch, stop the watch exactly on five seconds. Now, one group was the reward group. They were given a reward to participate in the test. The other group had no reward, but they received frequent feedback on their progress. What the participants didn't know was that they were measured on their success rate and what they did during break time. Interestingly, hardly anyone from the reward group practiced during break, and almost everyone from the non-reward feedback group practiced during free time. And the success rate of this second group was significantly higher. The research reported the pursuit of competence or improvement had a dopaminergic effect. That means dopamine energy effect. Feedback was essential to their motivation. So, as we end today, consider putting into practice a few of these tools of influence in your business or family. They work. And they can help you become a better leader or parent. As John Maxwell said, leadership is influence. Remember, you can gain more influence with your team, with your children, and yes, even with your spouse. And being a person of influence is a skill you can learn and develop. Remember to leave your here and go to there, there. And as you do, how to influence will become more clear. To gain influence, be inspiring in your service, work, and approach to what you do. Remember the tools of simplicity, contrast, and reciprocity. Use social influence, feedback, and meaning-making to help you lead with more influence and watch. Your leadership will improve, as will the results you're trying to create. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.